For KOSU, I'm Michael Cross, and it's time for This Week in Oklahoma Politics, along with Republican political consultant Neva Hill and civil rights attorney Ryan Kiesel. Republican lawmakers are advancing legislation to put more oversight on State Superintendent Ryan Walters. House Bill 2569 imposes a moratorium on accreditation rules upon school districts by the State Board of Education without specific legislative statutory authorization. The measure is heading to the House floor after passing the Education Committee 10 to 1. Ryan, what do you think of this bill? Well, um, I think that the context of the bill is is one of the most interesting things here. Representative Mark McBride, the chairman of the AMB subcommittee that oversees the education uh, funding, um, yeah, I think that he was. I think he tried to do his best to introduce this bill and do it in a in a real subdued way and just move it through. But then, as questions started to come in, not just from Democrats but from Republicans, uh, Chairman McBride, you really came out swinging. He said, "Yeah, I wanted to put this gentleman." Uh, he was referring to Superintendent Walters in a box. Uh, the other quote: "I hate to be that blunt, but we've got to focus on public education and not his crazy destruction of public education." And, you know, we've talked about uh, on this program, even after uh, Superintendent Walters was uh, sworn in and inaugurated as, as the new superintendent of public instruction, uh, that he was going to, uh, if he didn't change his ways, uh, his, you know, his politicization of everything uh, on TikTok, that he was going to become a thorn in the side of not just, you know, Democrats and liberals, but of his own uh, party in the legislature. And that seems to have started to happen. Uh, you know, Chairman McBride, uh, is not the only member of the legislature uh, that I'm sure is hearing from school districts that are afraid of losing their accreditation. Uh, you know, it's it is not a small it is not a small stick for the superintendent to swing around whenever they start talking about you know we're gonna we're gonna talk about accreditation here or accreditation there, um, and that's really not a great uh, mindset that our schools need to be in right now. They they shouldn't operate from a place of fear and on their heels all the time. And that's exactly what Chairman McBride said. And and the 10 to 1 vote in committee uh, was a pretty resounding statement to the superintendent uh, that if he doesn't change his ways and, and begin to rein back his the threats that he's making to these public schools, that he's going to have a real difficult time, not just this session, probably his entire tenure of trying to get any of his measures through the legislature. And he's got to have the legislature to do that. He's not, you, you don't become a king over there. You have to follow the law that the, that the legislature passes and he'll be at their beck and call if he doesn't uh, change uh, change his attitude a little bit. Neva. Absolutely. And I think I think this reflects the seriousness that the House Republicans and certainly uh, with uh, Chairman McBride, uh, the chair of the Appropriations and Budget Subcommittee, these folks want to get down to serious business in the discussion of education. We've already seen this uh, happen this week, not only in committee work, but uh, on the House floor. And I think the fact that uh, it became so necessary for folks like Representative McBride and others on that committee to be stern, to be forceful, and to be direct with the superintendent to say, let's get serious, let's get down to business. We're not going to put up with nonsense. We're not going to continue to hear from constituents and folks all across the state uh, that they are concerned with what's going on in in the State Department of Education right now under new leadership. And I think that uh, hopefully this is a wake-up signal uh, to the superintendent that it's time to come to the legislative um, uh, 
process, come to these committee hearings, come meetings, and uh, be engaged with lawmakers, and do it in a way where something can be done that is to the benefit of all Oklahomans, and particularly to those uh, uh, school kids that uh, that the focus needs to be on right now. So uh, I applaud the efforts of this committee to uh, to be very straightforward, and I think mm-hmm. uh, the loan uh, the loan voice uh, representative Chad Caldwell from Enid. Uh, who was trying to uh, basically uh, uh, kind of rein it back and say that the, that things were in place and that this was not a necessary move on the part of the committee, uh, just went nowhere. It fell on deaf ears, and I think uh, we'll watch with interest now to see what the response is uh, from the superintendent as this moves forward. Superintendent Ryan Walters is drawing criticism for his removal of pictures of Education Hall of Fame members from the walls at the State Department of Education. Walter says he took them down because he refuses to highlight union leaders and association heads at the agency. This isn't the first time the pictures have disappeared as former state superintendent Janet Barisi did the same thing. Neva, what's been reaction to this move? Well, I think the reaction has been uh, largely uh, folks uh, saying that this is incredulous, that that this is a, this is another circumstance where if you're going to take seriously the narrative of what to do with education in Oklahoma, to have these types of storylines out there dominating and for people to be talking about removing Hall of Fame pictures from the State Department of Education uh, building building as opposed to talking about serious policymaking matters that are before the legislature right now, I, th- I think it, again, speaks to the issues that uh, folks are having with Superintendent, Superintendent Walters in his early days of his administration. And uh, the fact that we're not seeing a lot of discussion about who his new team is, uh, what his uh, uh, what his larger uh, issues and plans are, and yet you see this swipe, uh, kind of a, a, a really a, a hard swipe across the, the board. Uh, there's no question. There's no love lost at times between uh, the education establishment, between the education uh, uh, groups, and uh, some Republican, you know, lawmakers. Superintendent uh, Walters and others, but you have to develop civility and respect for the process and for the people engaged in the process to be able to move the football forward. And so, you know, I think it's regrettable that we see this as the dominant headline, the conversation in the first, uh, really the first uh, few weeks of the legislative session. Right. Well, and, you know, he had to have known that this was going to happen. I mean, there, there's, there was no, this, this shouldn't have come any, as any surprise. You know, they remove these and it becomes a news story. Why pick this fight? Uh, you know, this is this is such an unnecessary fight. Whenever, as you say, Neva, there are real issues facing Oklahoma public schools, and Republicans and Democrats, you know, may disagree about those things at sometimes, or may, you know, but this overshadows all of that uh, because it means that the the guy that's supposed to be the leader of public instruction in the state of Oklahoma is is declaring, you know, continued political war against teachers. Now he's and. And whenever he had an he had an opportunity uh, to say, well, this is what we're going to do with this, or maybe you know, uh, I'm going to walk this decision back, but he can't seem to uh, bring himself to acknowledge that he's made a mistake or that he's done something that has created uh, a headline that's uh, counterproductive to productive conversations about education policy in the state of Oklahoma. Instead, he doubles down. He says, union leaders and association heads are not what we will highlight. Well, those union leaders uh, and association heads. Or teachers, 
you know, the, the, that's the thing to remember. You know, these aren't, uh, you know, some, some union bosses that we brought in from a dock in New Jersey uh, to come, you know, work in Oklahoma uh, uh, education. These are, these are men and women uh, that have dedicated their lives to teaching. Many of those men and women that dedicate their lives to teaching will volunteer their time uh, to go work for their association, uh, to begin to push policies that they believe in, um, and and to and to protect their to protect their um, rights as teachers uh, and as educators, because they believe that that's in the best interest of, of students and education as a whole in Oklahoma. You might not always agree with those policies, but the idea that these folks don't deserve to be honored uh, and recognized in the very building that's meant to stand up public instruction in the state of Oklahoma, just such an unnecessary fight. And even, yeah, I think you said it uh, right. This is just a, a total lack of respect. And when you, when you lose respect, I think that you lose the ability to have good conversations, but apparently that doesn't seem to be something that the superintendent is interested in. He doesn't seem to be interested in those conversations. And I think the fact that in the hallway leading to the boardroom, which is really the most publicly accessible area mm -hmm. of the uh, uh, Hodge building, uh, this, was, this was a place that if the new superintendent said, yes, I want new, I know, I want new photographs here, I want, uh, 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 as he described what was going to take place, that they were going to put up uh, photographs of parents and 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 school kids and, and other things to uh, reflect uh, their focus, perfectly fine. And probably could have done that and take those down, but not make the drama out of it that it was uh, it, it was this uh, total swipe at the past mm -hmm. and no real no no real rollout of what he wanted for the future. Just this expectation now that people will wait and be probably much uh, more prone to be critical or at least take a much more serious look at what's in that hallway than they would have done previously if it had been done in a more systematic, more direct, more out front fashion by this new team at the Department of Education. And he could earn himself so much political capital right now if he would just say, you know what, I made a mistake. What, what, a, what a novel idea just to say, I made a mistake you know, we did this, uh, you know, I know that it had been done in the past and it was something that I thought that was important to my constituency, whatever. Uh, but I made a mistake. We're going to put them back up and it, it doesn't have to be an or it could be yes. And we're going to have these, uh, these other pictures that celebrate uh, parents and, and students, uh, as, as part of the, uh, the education, you know, fabric in the state of Oklahoma, you know, whatever you want to say, but he has an opportunity to do that. I, I, uh, you know, I don't have a lot of money in my pocket right now. Uh, but uh, you know, if we've got sports gambling at some point, I want to, I want to have political gambling in Oklahoma <laughs> so we can put money on whether or not Ryan Walters backs off of this, uh, because I don't think that he, he will. Well, and let's be clear. This is a partisan political office that Ryan Walters was elected to, just like his predecessor, Joy Hoffmeister was elected and served eight years. So there is an expectation. I think that there's going to be a, there's going to be some partisanship, uh, uh, some political divide here in terms of not only philosophy and policy, but how uh, how the uh, uh, business is going to be conducted uh, for the next four years at the Department of Ed. But this is a rocky start, I think, by anybody's fair estimation. And I think it does bode well for um, the long haul if, if uh, Superintendent Walters can step back and have a larger conversation about this. We've seen that it's going to be necessary with lawmakers. I think it's going to be necessary with the public to give them some uh, added confidence in what's going to take place at the State Department of Education. State lawmakers are getting an extra $2 billion to spend in the coming fiscal year. 
The Equalization Board approved more than $12 billion for the legislature to spend in the budget starting July 1st. The news comes as lawmakers still have another $1.4 billion in the rainy day fund and $700 million unspent dollars originally appropriated to lure a manufacturing facility to Oklahoma. Ryan, not everyone is celebrating this news, though. Well, if you look at it, it's it's actually um, you've got 1.3 billion from prior year surplus, 256 million from one-time American Rescue Plan ARPA dollars, uh, and so they're they're trying to craft a budget that's about a billion dollars bigger than that, according to a report in Nondoc. There's the price tag. If you add up the price tag on all of the all of the things that we've already seen approved this year in the legislature, I think an 800 million dollar education pa- uh, uh, package passed out of the Oklahoma House earlier this week. It's probably I don't want to say it's DOA when it gets to the Senate, but it's certainly going to be subject to a lot of negotiations. You have tax cuts that are still on the table. Uh, there there are a lot of price tags out there that go over and above uh, what we've got right now. And you know it it is important to say that we we have seen. Uh, this this is a smaller amount uh, than what had been originally certified back in uh, I think in December, uh, and that's largely due to oil and oil and natural gas prices going down. Uh, you know, so, uh, Chairman of uh, the Senate Appropriations Roger Thompson noted that we've had a, a warmer than expected winter, uh, and so that's probably going to re- result in some natural gas prices going down. And when you've got natural gas and oil and uh, and petroleum products going down in price, uh, which we've seen, that means less money into general revenue. Uh, and so these, these, uh, these certified amounts, I think that they mean that there's money to spend. Uh, a lot of it's one time. If you spend it this year and you have an ongoing obligation, we're going to be upside down. And then there's, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of other things, including criminal justice reform investments that the governor's talking about. Uh, we're a long ways from having uh, a real clear picture of what the budget's ultimately going to look like this year even with more money in the bank. Neva. And no question, and we never have a clear picture until we <laughs> <Right>. get to <laughs> May. And, and then it begins to be less muddy. And, and, uh, uh, and I think you're, you're right, Ryan, in, in terms of uh, what's, what's in play here are a lot of different dollars. I mean, that $1.3 billion, that one-time uh, cash that wasn't spent last year, I mean, that really needs, that's revenue that's going to be non-recurring. It's a one-time, one-time, uh, uh, one-time expense on projects that, uh, that have to be looked at kind of uh, parallel to the regular, the regular state budget. And I think when you look at the state budget, we're now into more of a conversation of to spend or not to spend. I mean, you have, a, you have some very uh, different views on how to move forward. And certainly I think we've seen for months now uh, the uh, uh, state uh, uh, Senate appropriations chair, uh, Senator Thompson, uh, he's been pretty clear that, uh, I mean, he wants to be, he, w- he wants to be tight fisted on this. He doesn't want these dollars just to flow through quickly. Uh, and I think in both the house and the Senate conversations on appropriations and budget, th- there has been a articulated concern that we have to make sure that we don't obligate ourselves, get overextended and moving forward, be in a place where some future, uh, legislative body has to pull back. Mm-hmm. They have to rein it back in. They have to take money away. And we've all seen, you know, the, the sessions come and go where that's been the big fight. So I think that the good news is uh, they certainly, the $2 billion more uh, that will be in the uh, 
uh, budget for the fiscal year that begins July 1. That's good news. It, 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 it gives a bright forecast to move forward and be very thoughtful in what needs to take place with these budget considerations. In the past 10 years, we've had, for this week's Oklahoma politics, we've had burnt budgets and surpluses and deficits. And I remember, Ryan, you've mentioned many times, it's actually harder for lawmakers to deal with a surplus than it is a deficit. Yeah, because you know there are a lot of folks out there with their hands out and they have very legitimate needs uh, that need to be funded. There have been a lot of deferred items in the state's uh, uh, infrastructure and services that we provide to the people of Oklahoma uh, that have either been underinvested in or cut in the past and, and we haven't brought them back to their uh, typical funding levels. Um, and so if you look at just, uh, you know, right, one of the things that Senator Thompson, I think we're going to talk about education in a moment, but in this, uh, this non-doc piece, uh, Senator Thompson talks about, I love education, but if we put money into education right now, uh, every dollar that we put into education, we just have to consider that dollar always in education because it's so difficult uh, to get lawmakers to cut money from education and then reallocate it somewhere else. So he said, you know, if we're investing in education, we've got to think about those as long-term investments that are both you know, necessary, uh, but then will be very politically unpopular to take away at some point it may be used on roads and bridges or, uh, you know, healthcare, whatever, whatever it may be, other competing interests in the state of Oklahoma. So yeah, it's difficult to have more money, uh, whenever, cause I mean, cuts, everybody's going to, everybody's going to hurt. Uh, but, but here there's going to be winners and losers and, uh, that, that's going to shake out in the negotiation process. The House of Representatives unveiled its legislative priorities to include a $500 million increase for schools. The increase includes a $2,500 across-the-board teacher pay raise and a tax break for private schools and homeschool students. Neva, is this an attempt to make everyone happy? Well, I think it's an attempt to have what I would construe as one of the most thoughtful, serious uh, pieces of legislation or companion pieces of legislation uh, to be moved so quickly and so early in a legislative session in a long, long time. I think uh, I think Speaker McCall and the House were united, um, as we saw in, in the votes on Wednesday, uh, on these two bills. I mean, 78 to 20 and 75 to 25, largely by um, uh, along party lines in terms of the uh, the vote. But what it did do, you're right, uh, Michael, is it, it was a case of trying to address all of the issues that have been at the forefront in education, both on the public school side and on private school, homeschool uh, sides as well. So I think this plan, it, it was interesting in the closing de debate, uh, Representative Osborne, uh, he made a comment that I thought uh, resonated largely with the uh, with the House majority in their vote in that he said that these sister bills are about both and rather than either or. And uh, and I think the the consensus among House Republicans is that this is a win win for Oklahoma kids, parents, teachers, schools. Uh, that it addresses all things. And like any good legislation moving through a process, it's been with a lot of give and take. And certainly no one, I think even the many of the folks that voted for these two pieces of legislation openly said, there are things about it I don't like, but we have to, we have to move the needle.
needle, and we have to address these issues in a very, in a very strong way for the benefit of all Oklahomans. So while some people don't like uh, uh, the aspect of, of more money to public schools, or some people don't like the aspect of the tax credit, uh, the parental choice uh, component, the long and the short of it is, I mean, it is a significant uh, uh, Piece, two pieces of significant legislation that I think uh, merit all Oklahomans taking a, a real look at. Now, you mentioned, uh, Ryan, the fact that it may be DOA on the Senate side. I think that's, I think that is now the, the next question. It moves to the Senate side. Mm-hmm. Pro Tem Treat has made no comment on this legislation. Uh, the Senate this week advanced their own education ideas. You had the, the chairman of the Education Committee's Committee, uh, Senator Adam Pugh, uh, his his proposal is basically proposing a teacher raise, um, but um, doing it um, in the three to six thousand dollar range. But having it depending on years of service, the House version was twenty five hundred across the board uh, with no distinctions. Um, they have other pieces of legislation on the education side that they're moving through. But it it is it is interesting that there doesn't seem to be upfront. Uh, any any movement or any indication that the Senate is buying into this uh, this significant House reform on education, and does that mean it's just dead in the water, or can they really at some point begin to move for more compromise, more give and take, um, uh, in some fashion? The governor has indicated he's supportive of this uh, uh, on the on the House side, and I think it would be monumental reform across the board, uh, and it has a lot of uh, it has a lot of uh, guard rails in it. It has a lot of uh, a lot of the questions that came up during the debate uh, and during the and during the process on Wednesday were well thought out and there were answers. It wasn't we're going to get back with you. I mean, some didn't like the answers. I mean, they didn't like the fact that the tax commission would promulgate rules after uh, after a bill like this was signed into law by the governor if it, if that were to happen. But. I think I think we at least saw a very serious attempt to address many many of the issues that Oklahomans, uh, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a parent, uh, whatever wherever you come from in your vantage point on the discussion of education, I think you could see that this was an extremely thoughtful, prepared um, piece uh, piece of legislation, or as they call sister bill uh, sister bills uh, that were discussed and passed on Wednesday. Right. Well, you know, I think that there's going to be, uh, even even leaving aside just the money for a moment, because I, I think that that's going to be the, the real roadblock that we'll hear from the Senate, um, is that you know, we've got, you know, this is this is going to take up, and I think uh, Senator Thompson, the chairman of uh, Senate Appropriations and Budget, said, you know, if we do all of what the House has done, uh, and we look at the revenue that we have to spend this year, uh, we'll have about $160 million left to invest in other state priorities. Uh, so... I think that he takes that very seriously, and that's that's not even thinking about you know the grocery sale, uh, this uh, the sales tax cut for groceries, um, you know the income tax cut that the governor's proposed, uh, making investments in criminal justice reform that are long overdue and were required by state question 780 and 781. There are a lot of other funding priorities that when you've got this much money uh, that's going to go to one basically you know, two pieces of legislation. Uh, that's going to be a big negotiating chip for the Senate to get some of their priorities on the table as well. So I don't know that it's it's DOA, but I think that there's there's a lot to to, to move there. When you look at the the tax credit itself, you know, twenty five hundred dollars for 
uh, homeschool, 5,000 for those that would send their kids to private school. Uh, I thought it was interesting uh, that, you know, on the House, whenever they were discussing this, um, it, it was you know, basically admitted that this would be very, this would mean very few public school students would be going to private schools. I think that the assumption is, is that this would just benefit a lot of families that already have their kids in private school. I think that it was pointed out that the uh, $5,000, you know, doesn't even come close to touching the amount of tuition for a lot of these private schools. So we're really uh, subsidizing a lot of families that have the means to already have their kids enrolled in public or in private schools. Uh, I think that that's a concern. Senator Thompson had a concern with the way that the tax credit works. And there's uh, some, con- there was a, there's some wrangling on the, the house floor yesterday over the semantics of, is this a voucher uh, or is this a, uh, is this a tax credit? Um, well, the tax credit idea is that if you, you know, say you've got a tax liability of, of $10,000 next year and you've got, you know, one of your kids in a private school, you would get a tax credit against your uh, state liability of $5,000. So you would owe, owe the state $5,000. Um, now, if you don't owe any tax liability uh, to the state next year uh, and you qualify for that, then the state has to cut you a check uh, for $5,000. Uh, and I think you know, Senator Thompson raised real concerns about a program like that. So uh, I know that folks don't want to call it a voucher, but in those situations, it really would be a voucher uh, that the state would be giving directly to, to parents. Um, now, how many of those parents that are already sending their kids to, to private schools are going to have zero tax liability next year? I don't know. I mean, they probably have good CPAs. Uh, but <laughs> uh, I, I find out that the more, the more money people make, the better they are at not having to pay as much taxes. I'm going to figure that out one of these days. Um, i got to make more money. I know. You just got to make more money, pay less taxes. I think that that's the way it's supposed to work. Uh, but... So I think that that's those policies like that um, on the 25 or on the uh, on the across the board pay raise and the money that would kind of go outside the formula. There is this cap uh, of two million dollars, and that cap is really uh, tied to Oklahoma City Public Schools and Tulsa Public Schools. Um, and so, what's going to happen whenever you've got lawmakers in both parties that are going to see? Wait a second. Well, we're getting this uh, increased uh, funding across the board pay raise, but we're going to see a cap uh, based on uh, at two million dollars. That's going to make it more difficult for our schools uh, to do that. Um, you know, what are those lawmakers doing both parties? Uh, and, and is that going to affect the ability to get a coalition uh, necessary to be able to pass this? Because you might have some detractors at some point uh, from those constitu- from those communities that say, hey, listen, uh, I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat. I got to represent Tulsa. I got to represent Oklahoma City. Uh, and that could be a that could be a game changer in the negotiations. You know, it's interesting, though. I think the important thing to remember on this conversation is the fact that in these bills that we're talking about right now, you have the opportunity to see that both both private education and public education is is being addressed. I mean, when you talk about last session in the Senate, where they tried the true voucher bill, uh, they tried to they tried to move that forward, and nothing, no other conversation related to uh, education. I mean, in the big picture, uh, it it uh, it died in the Senate. They couldn't get it across the finish line, and so uh, again, I mean, is it going to be an impasse, or are we going to bring all of this together? I mean, whether people like the particulars. I mean, I think one of the interesting things in the debate, and in closing, I mean, uh, and the education House education. Committee Chair Representative Rhonda Baker, I think, uh, did a masterful job of uh, of um, orchestrating the conversation and the debate uh, on Wednesday on these two bills on the House floor. And I think uh, at the end of it, the bottom line I think that was uh, said was that if passed and if it became law, that every school uh, would receive more money next year than they did last year. 
uh, every teacher would receive uh, $2,500 more across the across the board uh, in in a in a uh, raise. And that, when you take that plus what's happened in the last four and a half years, that's a $9,700 a year raise for teachers. And teachers or others advocating for teachers can say, well, we need more. But the conversation needs to be, what can we do now uh, in a thoughtful policymaking fashion that that uh, that accomplishes things for all of the stakeholders? I mean, 700,000 kids in public schools, I think 35,000 uh, kids in, in other uh, 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 education, either homeschool, private school, charter school, virtual school, all of those other elements, whatever they may be. Um, but it, there has to be a larger conversation. And so I think uh, from the standpoint of looking at what happened uh, this week, I think anyone being fair to the conversation would say at least this is a, this is a very responsible, very thoughtful move forward that the, the Speaker of the House and the folks, the Republicans in the House, uh, and the governor uh, and the governor uh, we're in the process of putting together and putting forward and we'll see now where it goes representative baker you know whether you agree with uh, these bills or not uh, i think you're right neva she did a, a magnificent job of, of presenting this on the house floor taking a lot of questions from democrats and and doing her best to to answer them not always satisfactorily to the democratic caucus but i you know she did a great job in, in proposing and pre, uh, and presenting this bill on the house floor because it's a difficult bill, it's hard. I think that the difference between this and what we seen last year is that there was an acknowledgement up front, we've got to give something to rural lawmakers uh, because most of the, the parents and the students that are gonna benefit from these private vouchers or tax credits or whatever the heck you wanna call them, they, they live in metropolitan areas. There's not a lot of private school options out in rural Oklahoma. Uh, so even if you qualify for this, where are you gonna send your kid? Uh, unless you wanna homeschool and get the $2,500 credit, but that's difficult and a lot of parents are set up to do that. Um, so they had to give something to rural schools, and that's where you see this uh, this companion bill uh, that I think ta- that changes the the conversation from where it was last year. And isn't it a little ironic that you have Representative Baker and Representative McBride, and for full disclosure, I mean both clients of mine, long longtime clients, but but two of the leaders in this discussion on education on the House side, and two that we talked about uh, during uh, the last election cycle were the were targeted by school choice uh, uh, groups in in significant amounts of money coming against them in their races, uh, trying to defeat them. And yet they've come back uh, to the conversation and come back to the table for this larger conversation of let's 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 talk about all of the elements of education. Let's just don't make it one size fits all or one side versus the other. So, and again, it goes back to the rather than either or, let's have something that is to the benefit of all if it can be accomplished. Early voting for the March 7th election to legalize recreational marijuana is only a week away. This comes as Governor Stitt and Attorney General Gettner Drummond have come out against State Question 820. Ryan, what are supporters doing to get ready for the vote? Well, it, it seems uh, just so strange that we're uh, about a week away from, from actual voting and that we're uh, within a week of absentee early voting. Um, you know, supporters were out, were out on doors uh, all the time. I think we hit, you know, thousands of doors over the weekend. We're up on TV. Uh, we've got mail going out. We're on social media. We're talking to voters around the, the, the entire state, all 77 counties, uh, about why this is an important investment uh, in the state's future. $821 million in revenue to be generated over the first five years, $100 million in annually recurring revenue estimated after that. And those are going to be real investments in uh, education and health care. 
you know, we hear the opponents that are out on the campaign trail. A lot of their arguments sound like uh, you know black and white television set uh, reefer madness stuff. Um, and you know, as as a parent, you know, we hear about you know we got to protect our kids. As a parent of two young kids myself, I, I couldn't agree more. We've got to protect our kids. Eight twenty is the way to protect our kids. We make investments in uh, their health care. We make investments in their education. We have strong safety requirements built in. Uh, and parents, you know, need to continue to use common sense. And mar- marijuana should be on a long list of things from everything from, you know, Tide Pods and laundry detergent and pesticides to, to alcohol that we need to use common sense to keep away from our kids. But a, a really great deal. CDC came out this week, new study that shows continuing decline among teenage use of cannabis and a uh, Journal of American Medical Association study that seems to dovetail with that shows that there is uh, statistically zero the significance between legalization in a state and increased uh, uh, use among adolescents uh, in that state. So, you know, these ideas that we're going to pass this and we're going to have a dystopian hellscape ahead of us, you know, just go to Colorado. It's uh, you know, listening to our opponents, you drive across the border and, you know, you're going to have like walking dead zombies coming up and, uh, and you know, dismantling your car or something uh, five miles in. That's just not the case. Those states that have done this have done it. It's been safe. They've seen a boon to their investments in education and health care. And it's time for us to do that in Oklahoma as well. Nia. Well, I think it's interesting, uh, as we've talked about uh, so often, I mean, with 11 days to go, I mean, you have two two campaigns, a yes campaign, no campaign. At this point, the yes campaign uh, seems to be the one that's uh, most aggressively out to more public. I think we can expect that the no campaign, while doing many things uh, probably more on the ground and grassroots, um, it, to my knowledge, have not been on the airwaves yet. I think there's an expectation they will be. Um, but the, the coalition on the no side, I mean, when you look at who the folks are that uh, are asking folks, Oklahomans, to go to the polls on March, uh, on, uh, March, March 7th, March 7th yeah. and uh, uh, vote no. It's the Oklahoma Association of uh, the Chiefs of Police, the District Attorneys Association, the Sheriff's Association. Uh, then you have the groups that we've talked about before, the more rural constituencies, the Farm Bureau, Cattlemen's Association, uh, and then um, many in the uh, faith community that have uh, uh, that have been talking to uh, uh, to their audiences, trying to in, trying to voice concerns. Uh, uh, many many of those uh, are kind of you might say are kind of the 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 ones that are thrown out there that uh, might not have much validity, but seem to have some uh, some uh, some appeal and get some attention, particularly from older voters, many of whom are likely to come out. Um, for for a special election like this, uh, the fact that uh, that one of the things that I think I'm hearing more and more is that there's 2,300 marijuana dispensaries in the in the state, and that's more than the number of gas stations we have in the state. It's uh, uh, for a state as the, with the uh, population that we have. It uh, for medical marijuana that we have more dispensaries than any state in the United States. And, you know, of course, one of the conversations, particularly in rural Oklahoma, has been about the cartels, has been about the concerns uh, that there are, I think one of the statistics I saw recently were, was that there were nine different countries from three different continents that were operating in Oklahoma um, that were, you know, uh, black market marijuana. And uh, so there are a lot of concerns out there. It's going to get down to who goes to vote. And I mean, Mm -hmm. even when we think back on the, uh, I think a poll that was that I saw at the end of uh, December uh, about the subject. 
you you saw the numbers i think 49 percent for um i think 29 percent against and maybe the rest undecided 13 percent or whatever that would be clearly favoring the the yes side if they can get out the vote but it will be that will be the the whole ball game and i think if you get regular voters to to come out uh, who are uh, in special elections tend to weigh both sides and look at it i think we're coming down to the final stretch with most people having made up their minds and now it's just a turnout game i, I don't see a lot of uh, room uh, for people to be convinced i think it's more uh, can people be motivated uh, to believe that their one vote is going to make a difference in what could be a relatively low statewide turn you know turnout uh, since there will um, for for all accounts be nothing else on the ballot yeah, that's so it. This is it. so um I, it will be fascinating to see i mean there's been so much conversation through the years and so much of a desire on the proponent side to pass this measure uh are they going to have uh, are they going to be able to maintain and develop enough intensity to be able to push it across the finish line well and you know i'm going to make this commitment on the air right now all of these groups that that have been opposing state question 820 um, yeah, I don't want to dismiss their concerns. I think that you know concerns about uh, illegal activity, especially in rural area, you know those are those are big concerns. I stand with them in saying that we've got to crack down on that. I think that state question eight twenty, both from an economic standpoint of uh, creating safe legal access for adults over twenty one, that's going to cut into that illicit market. But also, we're going to generate millions and millions, not just in state revenue, but in local revenue through sales taxes. They're going to go into law enforcement agencies, give law enforcement new tools to be able to go and do that job of cracking down on the illegal grows out there. And here's my commitment. Uh, I know that they're opposed to this. I feel like that's their script in the drug war. They've got to be opposed to it. But uh, if and when state question 820 passes and that money's coming in and it's benefiting their local law enforcement offices and those local sheriff's offices, I'll, I'll, I'll gladly be there uh, to... to to cheer them on, and I won't say I told you so. <laughs> Ryan and Eva's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of KOSU, its staff, or management. Programs like this are made possible through support from KOSU members who are listeners like you. Consider a gift to KOSU in support of This Week in Oklahoma Politics at donate.kosu.org.